Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. So this is the grace of God displayed to the people of Nazareth because he certainly didn't have to come back home. I mean, my goodness, the first time he showed up there, they tried to kill him. They'd be like me going back to Amarillo and I show up and, you know, oh man, preach the word and all that good stuff. But you said some things we didn't really like, so we're going to, you know, we're going to push you off the cliff of Polydor Canyon, right? And like, you would think I'd be insane to go back. But he goes back. Pastor James teaches today about when Jesus returned to his hometown of Nazareth. The first time Jesus visited his home as a rabbi, the people were initially fascinated by his teaching, but then dismissed him as the mere son of a carpenter. They eventually became so angry at some of his teachings that they tried to throw him off a cliff to kill him. Jesus escaped and a year later decided to return to Nazareth. Pastor James points out the immense mercy of this act, but Jesus ultimately is rejected once again. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 6 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. going to be in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6 to be exact. We'll jump around a little bit from Mark chapter 6 to Luke chapter 4 just to kind of help to frame out this whole story. It's a fascinating one for sure concerning Jesus and going home, you know, to Nazareth, to Jesus of Nazareth. So we're just going to walk through this little story, just six verses, verses 1 through 6 today. And I'm going to read from New Living Translation, but I might jump from New Living Translation to the ESV, but I'll try to give you a heads up when I do that, all right? So let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for who you are. I thank you that, man, Lord, you you love us so much that you came on this rescue mission for us to, to save us, to save our souls, and to set us free. And so we thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray for just individual stories that are represented just in hearing this message today, Lord. I I don't know everybody's story. I don't know where their hometown is per se, Lord, but I don't even know what their history is in their hometown or how they are received when they go home. Lord, I I just pray, God, that you would would just fill us, Holy Spirit. You would empower us to be witnesses for you even if sometimes that means walking into hostile environments, Lord, uh, or where we're not appreciated or loved. But Lord, that we could just walk in confidence of who we are in you, Jesus. And we just thank you. We thank you for that. We thank you for dying on the cross and saving us, Lord Jesus, for raising from the grave. And the fact that you're going to be coming back, Lord, soon is what it feels like. And we just hold on to that hope that you will be coming back soon, Lord. And until then, help us to stay focused on you, focused on the mission that you have called us to, Lord, and just sharing your gospel, introducing people to you, Lord Jesus, baptizing them, and Lord, training them up, teaching them your word, and equipping them for the work of the ministry, Lord. So there's plenty to do. Plenty to do right now, Lord, and, and so we just pray that you'd help us to stay focused on on you and the example that you laid out before us, Lord, in your Gospels, and we just pray all these things in Jesus' name, 
Amen. All right. So as I indicated within that prayer, we're going to be talking about Jesus going home, going home to Nazareth. I think we have experiences to that, unless, you, unless of course, you, you were just born in the same city and you've, let's say it's Galveston, obviously, because that would make sense. But if you're born here at UTMB and you've only ever lived here your whole lives and I've never even left this town, then you wouldn't really know what this story kind of feels like to a certain extent. But I think most of us, if not all of us, understand what that feels like to have been raised in one location. And then life circumstances happen, whether that be maybe school or let's say you're part of a military family and you got to move on to another location or or you just move and maybe you have an opportunity to go back home. It, it's always an interesting dynamic. If you've never had that experience, I would encourage you to, well, to, to, to go for it. Like, get that experience. I kind of have, I kind of have that experience to a certain extent. I was born in Amarillo, Texas. Born in Amarillo, Texas and lived there until my sixth grade year. Once that sixth grade year had ended, my mom packed me and my sister up and moved us down here to Angleton, Texas, okay? And so started off my seventh grade year in, in Angleton, Texas. So I had to relocate to a new town and start all over, essentially. Start all over and then progress through junior high all the way through high school up until my junior year. And the day my junior year ended... I come back home, walk into the apartment where it was at that point in time, it was just myself and my mom living there. My sister had already moved up to Amarillo. And I walk into an apartment that has bags and boxes packed up and all this good stuff. And unbeknownst to me, my mom had already planned on us moving to Amarillo the day my junior year ended. And so I had to say adios. Actually, I didn't even really get that opportunity to, to say adios to friends that I had made from seventh grade up through my junior year, individuals I've grown really close to and all that good stuff. And so then I had to go, I had to go home in one sense, the hometown. Now, at this point in time in my life, I really don't consider Amarillo to be my hometown. I know that that was where I was born, but Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and that's not considered his hometown. He was raised in Nazareth. I feel as though I was really kind of raised in Angleton. Angleton will always be my hometown, and it'll always have a special place within my heart. But I had to go back to Amarillo and go to a place where, well, really, I, even though I'd lived there for a certain amount of time, I just really didn't know that many people. Many people didn't know who I was. I had family that was there, but that was about the extent of it. I had no reputation or anything like that. Now, as life progressed on, I got out of Amarillo as soon as possible. No offense, Amarillians, if that's what we call you. I don't know, but the shores and the beaches of Southern California were calling my name. And so praise God for Bible college and me applying to that and getting accepted there, even though I didn't even know what Bible college technically was. I go to California, and then my plan is to make that my hometown for the rest of my life. And the Lord had other plans. However, in my Bible college experience, two years out there, I meet Nellie, my wife. We get married in Southern California, again, with plans of staying there. 
But the Lord had other plans. He called us back to Amarillo. So I had to go back to Amarillo. Again, I love the people of Amarillo so much. And I know some of you will be listening to this on the radio. Nothing but love for all of you in Amarillo and those surrounding communities. The most beautiful people, I think, are, are, are found there. So I go back to Amarillo. Now I have somewhat of a, I'm known a little bit, a little bit, but a shy kid and all that good stuff, kept to myself mainly. And, but I had a circle of friends, a little network. And so I go back and still largely unknown and all that good stuff, right? Nobody's looking to push me off of any cliffs, not that they exist in Amarillo, but oh, I guess maybe over the Colorado Canyon. But, you know, I'm just, just James. I just graduated Bible college, now married. And, and we live and we work there in, in Amarillo, and, you know, in the course of, I think, around 13 years or so, the Lord begins to do another thing within our lives. And, and I had always prayed for an opportunity to come back home, so to speak. And, and again, hometown for me was always, and to this day, will, will, will still be Angleton, Texas. And now, technically, I'm in Galveston. I'm not in Angleton, I'm, but I'm an hour east of Angleton. And but man, I just always wanted that opportunity to come back and to reconnect with people that I just cherish dearly. But who knew me as a different person? I was not a Christ follower back then. I had no interest in Jesus and no interest in the church at all. But I wanted to come back and so that they could see, like, well, this is who I am in Christ. And, and I've had an opportunity to reconnect with some of my dear friends and they found out that I'm a pastor and, and that I am a Christ follower. I'm a different person. And, and that's, been, that's been an amazing experience. Jesus' experience in going home is quite unlike, I think, some of ours, unless you had a, a bad experience. And when you, you had maybe a certain reputation, you go home and people dread you showing up. I don't know. But I, I don't know what that's like, to be honest. And I'm not like a great person or anything like that. I'm, re- I'm really just a nobody. But it, it's, it's kind of fun when you can go back home and people recognize you. And they welcome you. And they embrace you. And they're excited to see you. In this story of Mark chapter 6, it, it's, it's a fascinating one. Because prior to this story, about a year before this story that we see in Mark chapter 6, Jesus went home. He, he went back to Nazareth. Now, he had just, had just been baptized by John the Baptist. And when he came out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended upon him. And God spoke from heaven and said, behold, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know? And so there's this amazing event. And then he is led off into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, where he is tempted by Satan himself. And then when he comes through that, he goes to Nazareth. He goes up to Nazareth. And and that's where, if you look at, look at Luke chapter 4, okay, because I, wanna, I want you to see the first instance when he went home to Nazareth, okay? So Luke chapter 4, verse 16, and this is where I'm going to read from the, the ESV, one of my favorite translations. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, where he'd been raised, right? And as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. Now, just so you understand, when a rabbi, which is what Jesus was, and he was considered a rabbi by even his harshest critics, okay? But when a rabbi would show up to a synagogue, these visiting rabbis would be asked to read the scripture lesson and make whatever comments they felt were appropriate, right? Like some observations and interpretation kind of a deal. 
So this is Jesus. He shows up home. He has gained some sort of notoriety, some fame in this time period. And so when he shows up to the synagogue, and as is custom for him, he's going he's gonna to go to the synagogue, and he's invited to read the scripture for that day. And so this lesson, the appointed lesson, which is like no coincidence at all, that the day he shows up to Nazareth, the, the lesson for, that's been designated for that day was, would be Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. Okay, So he's going to read this portion of scripture, and then he's going to make like three points, right? Just like classic Baptist preacher, he's got his three points, probably a poem and all that good stuff, right? I'm just kidding. But he does make three points. But it says, verse 17 of Luke chapter 4, it says, And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are, who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor or the year of Jubilee, right? Like this is, this is crazy. Like this is the year Jubilee has begun. So he's there, he sits in the synagogue, he, he unrolls the, the scroll of Isaiah 61, and he reads verses 1 and 2. And then he, his first pronouncement, his first little point is, this scripture has been fulfilled, right? It's fulfilled in him. He was anointed by the Spirit to minister to all kinds of needies, like all kinds of needy individuals. Everything that the Messiah was going to do, Jesus is letting them know, I am that Messiah, and, and these things will be happening by my hands, right? And so it's just, it's amazing, amazing this, like he, he has this authority, he has this tremendous authority, and he just reads it, and he's like, today, in your presence, the scripture has been fulfilled, right? Like, he's like, this is me, this is who it's talking about. The second little point that he, that he makes to his, his hometown people, they know who he is, right? They know this is Jesus, and we'll see that in a second, how they respond to him. Second one is that, that point that he made about the year of Jubilee had begun, right? So the, the year of the Jubilee, and that's referenced in Leviticus 25, verse 8. It's when everything in Israel was restored to its proper place. Now, he, he leaves off, as Warren Wiersbe notes in his commentary concerning Luke, he leaves off the day of vengeance of our Lord, for that day is yet to come. So he doesn't include that yet. And then Wiersbe goes on to say that he announced that all of this was by the grace of God, and that he gave two examples from Jewish history to prove that God showed mercy to the Gentiles. Those are found in 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings chapter 5. The first two points, as Wearsby says, were acceptable to the congregation. They really were vibing with those first two points, right? Like, they loved that. They loved those two pronouncements. It's like sweet, answered prayer, right? And freedom. However, on the third, not so much. They wanted none of God's blessings to go to the Gentiles, Right? They, they wanted none of those blessings to go to the Gentiles at all. They wanted to keep those for themselves. This is Christ's words of grace. This is where be again, for tolerable, but not his words of judgment. For his statement, 
concerning this, they, they, they wanted to kill him. And in fact, they, they tried to. Look, I mean, it says right here, it says verse 20 of Luke chapter 4, he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And they were just amazed. They're like, how can a carpenter's son speak with such great authority, such clarity, so powerfully? They were, they were not used to this at all because most other rabbis who showed up never spoke with much authority at all. In fact, they were, they were known for quoting other rabbis, right? And they may read the portion of scripture, but then they would spend probably most of their time talking about what Rabbi so-and-so has said. And, and this rabbi over here had said, not uncommon to our day and age in which we, which we live with, with church services, if we're honest. It seems like a lot of church services, I can't say all of them, because not all of them, it's not true universally, but it seems like a good handful of church services and the scripture portion of the service which has diminished over time. We, we put way more emphasis on the, the worship, quote-unquote, side of, of the service, right? The big concert with the lights and the fogs and the laser shows and the let's just try to attract the world into church. But we're really, we're not attracting the world at all into the church. We're just attracting other Christians from other churches into our churches. Doesn't seem that all that effective to me. But we make a big deal about that. And then when it does come time, to, time to, for the service aspect or element of it, it's read a scripture and tell a bunch of stories. Not a lot of authority. Maybe drum up the crowd with emotion. Right. And I can change the, you know, the levels of my, of my voice and I can just build up this passion and, and get you all fired up and, and not really saying anything at all, but get you standing on your feet and hooting and hollering and, you know, amen to this and to that. And you have no idea what you're amening, but my goodness, it, this guy's charismatic and powerful and all this good stuff, right? It's like, that's kind of what they were accustomed to, probably without not so much the show. But other rabbis standing in the pulpit, quote unquote, sharing a little bit of scripture, but spending most of their time quoting this person and that person and this. And, but Jesus was different. Jesus showed up, opened up the scroll, read the scriptures, and then commented on the scriptures and explained with clarity what the scriptures meant and how they were fulfilled that day right? Like it was just authority that he had. And that was like, it was, it captivated them. Their eyes were fixed on him. Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in our hometown as well. Show us some miracles, Jesus. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and the great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. 
and there were many lepers in, the, in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian, the Gentile, Syrian. And when they heard these things, this is that third point where they, they, they did not appreciate about Jesus. This is where he lost them. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff, intending to kill him. But passing through their midst, he went away, <laughs> right? So like they, they can't kill him. And it, 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 it wasn't ever meant for them to do that anyways. You know, his, his life was in the father's hands and he had a mission to accomplish. However, it's interesting to note that that was his first encounter of going back home. He shows up, he reads the scripture, he, he expounds upon the scripture and they're just like, this dude is awesome. And he's like, yeah, but let me go on a little bit more. Let me, let me expose something concerning your hearts as the nation of Israel. And he talks about Gentiles and how they received the blessings from God and they did not like that. They, in fact, it just, it stirred up this wrath inside of them and they sought to kill him. But then he passes through their midst and then he goes on about his business. But he, that was his first homecoming. That's when he came home. And that was the reception he had received. Now, Mark chapter six, if you turn back there, and this is, I'm going to jump back into the New Lumen translation. So the verb, the wordage is going to change a little bit, but it's still saying the same thing, just phrased a little bit differently. But chapter six, verses one through six is, it's all about this second time he goes, he goes back home. Verse one, it says, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. So this is the grace of God displayed to the people of Nazareth, because he certainly didn't have to come back home. I mean, my goodness, the first time he showed up there, they tried to kill him. They'd be like me going back to Amarillo, and I show up and, you know, oh man, preach the word and all that good stuff, but you said some things we didn't really like, so we're going to, you know, we're going to push you off the cliff of Polydoro Canyon, right? And like, you would think I'd be insane to go back. But he goes back, Jesus goes back, and that's his grace displayed to these people that I, I, I really do believe he still loved. And now it is important to note that, and Mark chapter six is going to let us know this, he still has family that lives in Nazareth. Since the next Sabbath, verse two, he began teaching in the synagogue like he did, customarily so. And many who heard him were amazed. So again, this, you may be thinking like, well, this sounds a lot like that first story. So isn't this the same story? Two different stories. Two different stories, and a year's time has passed between these stories. So he shows up, he teaches in the synagogue, and once again, they hear him, and they're like, they can't help but be captivated by his authority concerning the word of God. And they asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? So for sure, at this point in time, so first visit to Nazareth, I mean, he's like, came straight out of that temptation time period and then right to his hometown. But here, I mean, there's a year that's been passed. And so he has performed everything that he quoted to them from Isaiah chapter 61. He has been doing these things. So there is no denying. 
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me... Of you, babe.